This episode is brought to you in part by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The strongest MDiv just got stronger. Southern Seminary's new MDiv is now simplified, personalized, and incentivized. It's simplified by providing students a foundational core of 21 credit hours in each of these three academic disciplines, biblical studies, theological studies, and practical studies. It's personalized through 21 credit hours of electives that students customize around their unique ministry calling to earn graduate certificates. Those certificates indicate specialized training in key areas of ministry. It's incentivized by saving residential MDiv students $1,800 in tuition each semester. The benefits of all MDiv students are greater personalization, increased specialization, and the opportunity to earn more credentials in an efficient amount of time. Discover how you can benefit from an NDiv that is simplified, personalized, and incentivized at sbts.edu forward slash new MDiv. Once again, that's sbts.edu forward slash new MDiv. Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Our goal is to help Christians understand the truth of Romans 15, 14, that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm one of your hosts, Curtis Solomon. And I'm Lincoln Liu, your other host. Be sure to check out other resources from the BCC at biblicalcc.org. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. It's a delight to have you as part of our audience. Today's episode is an interview that I did kind of in our Getting to Know You series with Dr. Jim Neuheiser. Dr. Neuheiser is a member of the BCC Council, and he is the director of the Christian Counseling Program and professor of pastoral theology at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Dr. Neuheiser brings years of pastoral experience and biblical counseling experience to the training there at RTS Charlotte, and his wisdom, his understanding of God's Word, but also his humility are things that shine out to anybody who knows him. Uh, they come out in this episode. I had a wonderful conversation, and it's just always a delight to, to talk to Dr. Neuheiser. So I pray that you are encouraged, edified, uh, inspired to go forward in ministry, and you just enjoy listening to this episode, uh, even as much or hopefully more than I'd had recording it. Thanks for listening. Well, Jim Neuheiser, thank you so much for being with us on 1514, and welcome back to the show. I'm delighted to be with you again. So, Jim, for the those in our audience who don't know you, could you introduce yourself? Uh, just tell us a little bit about your family and current ministry roles. Right. So, my main job is I have the privilege of being the director of the Christian Counseling, which is Biblical Counseling Program at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, and I've been here for seven years. I've been involved with IBCD for maybe 30 years almost and have been the executive director for 17 years. I was a pastor in Southern California for 25 years before we moved here and was in Saudi Arabia for six years prior to that. My wife and I have our anniversary in a few days. It'll be 44 years. And we have three adult sons whom we love. Uh, They're not believers. And so it's a great opportunity for us to love people who aren't exactly like we are. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. And I know you've written some on that topic as well of just helping parents uh, with 
Christian parents with unbelieving children, and that's not what we're here to talk about, but I do want to highlight that for our audience, that if that's where you find yourself, uh, Dr. Neuheiser and his wife have some great material on that, as well as some others in the biblical counseling world. So this is a Getting to Know You podcast. We're going to go back in time a little bit. I, I was sitting there thinking that I can't believe it's already been seven years that you've been out at RTS, so time time flies oh. <laughs> for sure. But uh, tell us... A, a, Jim Neuheiser as a kid. Where did you grow up? What were you from? What were you like yeah. as a kid? So I mostly, well, until fourth grade, I was in Washington, D.C. in Northern Virginia, which is kind of a, an embarrassment. I don't like to talk about too much because then we finally got to Texas, which is a little <laughs> home. Um, I grew up in a family where my mom was in kind of a liberal Presbyterian church. My dad was elapsed Catholic who didn't like church, had some bad experiences, but when I was about 14, a friend from a really solid church invited me to a Young Life meeting and to the church, and the Lord saved me. Well, that's that's uh, that's encouraging, obviously, when we, we hear the Lord drawing people to himself and that kind of thing. Uh, the Texas also explains your love for Whataburger. Um anybody who sees you around will notice you often have a Whataburger mug. Um, so backing up to around, so 14, that's roughly junior high age. What kind of things were you into and how, what, what, what kind of activities, hobbies, things that you like to do? Yeah. Um, I was in band and orchestra and was in a school district at that time. It was one of the best in the country. So that was a good experience. I was, I enjoyed a lot of recreational sports. Um, and actually, I mean, from an early age, I was so appreciative of the people who were teaching me the Bible that I was very heavily involved both in our church and I started a group or helped start a group at our high school that would meet before school once a week and hmm. pray and sing. And so that was a lot of my time, even back to high school. So did you, be before your conversion, did you attend church? You, you said your mom was kind of a liberal Presbyterian. Did you grow up going to church, or was it totally brand new at age 14? Uh, no, I, we would go to church when I was younger, and then it just kind of tapered off to some degree. So, yeah, I mean, I was actually con- baptized and confirmed in a liberal Presbyterian church, uh, but with various moves, we disconnected i guess and then when you became a believer you were sharing a little bit there about how the different activities you got involved in but how did you see your life change from that experience yeah uh some things changed quickly some things not one is i did have a hunger for the word and for fellowship one thing i very specifically remember is about a year before i became a christian i took up golf hmm. i learned to cuss and I got to be pretty good at it. And when I became a Christian, I remember just noticing I'd stopped cussing. I'd even think, hmm, I need to stop cussing. It just, it was just a small little fruit. It's not the most important thing in all the world. But um, yeah, and even in terms of there were sins that when I was 14, 15 years old were sins I was chasing. And when God saved me, those became sins I was fighting against and trying to run away from. So you know, things like that were noticeable from early on that that area wasn't as successful as the former, but just the fact there was a battle being engaged was evidence of the Lord working in my life. 
Yeah, absolutely. Did your <clears throat> did your conversion have any impact on your parents? Yeah, my mom started attending this church, and actually, it was a church that was a pretty important. It was a medium sized church, but I had Ray Ortland as my youth leader. Sam mm-hmm. Storms was there. Uh, Greg Beal, you, you just Bruce Walsky was there. Haddon Robinson, all these different people wow. I saw when I was in high school. And my mom started coming because she was afraid I was getting involved in a cult. And then she ended up staying there for decades before she finally moved away from Dallas. And uh, she was baptized there. And I think she was genuinely, she would say she was genuinely converted through that. So that was a good thing. Uh, My dad would show interest at different times and he's been gone for a while now. And so I'm not sure about him. Uh, That's, yeah. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord that your, your mom did. That would be an interesting, what, what, what would you, I mean, that's a lot of people who've gone into full-time ministry, written books, done other things like that. Any reason why you think so many people came out of that church? Yeah, there was a guy there that many people haven't heard of named S. Lewis Johnson. He taught at Dallas Seminary. Uh, he became solidly reformed in his soteriology in the 70s. But he was an amazing expositor. He was doing consecutive expository preaching. People like Steve Lawson and John MacArthur would say S. Lewis Johnson was a huge influence on them. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of thousands of his cassette tapes got sent all over the world or internet or even CDs or anything like that. They even had reel-to-reel tapes in the early days. Yeah. Uh, and so I think these people were drawn, and even like the cream of the Dallas Seminary students would come to the church some of the people I mentioned, like Greg Beale and Sam Storms, came as students, and just mm. they wanted to be under the consecutive expository ministry of Dr. Johnson. And uh, like I said, he he was very explicitly reformed. Later, Dallas Seminary kind of pushed him out, and some of those relationships weren't as wonderful as they had been. But yeah, I was I remember like Bruce Walkie's teaching through the Psalms on Wednesday night, and mm. I was going to youth group. I should have gone to that, but I've listened to all those since then. Uh, and so, yeah, I was in. A, you know, I remember hearing Haddon Robinson do a summer conference. It's like spellbinding. Mm. Uh, even I was 15 years old. I was like, wow, this guy can really preach. So it was an amazing background to have. When I went to seminary, I'd had so much expository preaching and theology. A lot of the courses were pretty easy because of the background in that church. Oh, that's fantastic. Good testimony, too, of how the church really can equip people for ministry as well. So, I know that you didn't go straight into ministry out of, uh, you know, high school, college, et cetera. But what did you go to tell, tell our audience? What did you go to college to study and what happened there? So I had a desire for ministry, uh, from when I was in high school, but I was just 20 years old when I graduated from college, but I was impressed by the idea that I was just now becoming an adult. I think it's significant that Jesus didn't begin his public ministry till he was about 30. Elders are supposed to be mature. And so I decided I would, and I was given some advice to, you know, engage in a normal vocation. And so my thought was to do that during my 20s. I majored in business at Baylor and went to work for what's now Accenture. And then I went to work for what's now ExxonMobil. I wound up getting sent to Saudi Arabia. And yet in God's providence, once I got to Saudi Arabia, when I was, 23 years old, I was a tent-making pastor uh, with a lot of responsibility and a lot of opportunity. Hmm. 
So what, what were you working for? What kind of work were you doing for these companies that led you there? So I was doing finance, accounting, and computer stuff. And again, like I started with computers and you stick a deck of cards in them to make them go. So uh, then it was really exciting when you had these green screens on terminals where you could enter stuff in instead of a card punch thing. But yeah, it was helping to helping businesses to use many computers or before the PC even to run their finances instead of running service bureaus and things like that. So I had under, I had from my business school background, I had a really good background in finance and was able to kind of be a go between between the people, the accountants who wanted certain information, but also the programmers who could create the programs that produced it. So how did this, this tent making church opportunity, church pastor opportunity come about? So in Saudi Arabia, the city we were in when we first got there, uh, the, there was an international Protestant church, expatriate church, you know, 300 people, many nationalities. It's in English. Uh, you know, no Saudis. It's illegal for a Saudi even to be a Christian, but mm. foreigners working there and just they had a pastor who was in kind of under false pretenses, like you'll have people now doing in the Far East or the such things. So we were part of that group. After we'd been there less than a year, that guy got kicked out. And the Saudis wouldn't let us meet anymore at the school. They just kind of looked the other way, but they got mad. And so uh, as he was kicked out, he put me in charge. And so I uh, would, I organized meetings in homes and the American embassy, the British embassy gave us places to meet sometimes. Wouldn't hold all of this. So you'd have, you know, 60 here, 80 there, 30 there. Mm. I trained other men to do expository ministry. Uh, so that went on for five years until we got kicked out in 1987. And in the providence of God, we then went to Westminster Seminary in California. What led to them ultimately kicking you out of the country? Um, just suddenly I was told to leave. I was working you know, for a Saudi company by then that had before been working with ExxonMobil. And suddenly I was just told I was leaving. I got called in and interrogated by a guy in a uniform wanting to know about the church. And I think... So they don't tell you what they're thinking, but people were getting kicked out from time to time. They just, you know, they, I think the Saudis always knew what was going on, and now and then they make an example of somebody. We had a guy who was from an Islamic background who had come to faith, and we had baptized. And I was questioned about him in particular, and so you know, our theory might be that that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I guess good analogy for Saudi Arabia with camels. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. They don't exactly tell you that. They just put us on a plane, and you know there were other people. We had a week or two to get ready to go and pack up some of our stuff. We knew people who would be doing what we were doing. They'd come to your airport at midnight, take you to the airport, stick you on a plane at 2 a.m., and hopefully your friends could sell your car and ship some of your stuff to you. So we, it wasn't that bad, and it got me to seminary just in time for the semester to start. But it was, you know, was gut-wrenching at the time because yeah. – we saw so many people who'd come to faith and it was a very, very close fellowship. So it was very hard. Yeah. <clears throat> so the Lord takes you from, from Saudi Arabia to Southern California to study at Westminster. At that point, um, were you aware of biblical counseling at that point? What were you, what did you go to, to study there at yeah. Westminster? Yeah. That's interesting. Part of the story is that at Baylor, 
uh, we had a little group of underground. It was almost like being in Saudi Arabia. We were Reformed Baptists at an institution that on its best day was Arminian and its worst day was liberal. So we would have Bible studies on campus and good little, I mean, 40, 50 of us. I was helping to lead. One of the guys was a psychology major. His name was Ken. And he told us about this guy that had written this crazy book saying that the Bible is what people should use and there's problems with psychology. This for me would have been like, 1977 or 78 that I heard about competent to counsel. I remember thinking, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And somehow I bought the books. Now, when you're in school, you don't have time to read a lot of extra books. But when we first got to Saudi Arabia, I'd been very involved in ministry. I was taking seminary classes part-time. Suddenly I didn't have that. So I I read, among other things, competent to counsel, Christian counselor's manual. Mm -hmm. At that time, there were probably like 20 books that would be categorized as biblical counseling that had been written you know, in the latter part of the 20th century. So I, I buzzed through those. And then suddenly, several months in, I made the pastor of the group and people start coming to me for counsel. And I looked older than I was probably, but um, I just started trying to use the Bible to help people. And I found some of those resources. I think there was Christian Living in the Home and Wayne Mack's homework manuals. And so mm-hmm. uh, I started trying to help people. And we would even, it was kind of funny, we would especially when I became the pastor of the group, we'd have people over and we would just want to invite them to dinner and get to know them better. And before the dessert came, they're pouring out their heart and all their problems, their marriage with their kids and a blended family. And so we just were doing a lot of counseling and, you know, get called emergency 10 PM. We're having a huge fight and they'd be my parents age and Mm. okay, there's nobody else. So I'll go and I'll bring my Bible and the Lord has always helped us. Wow, that's a great, <clears throat> a great testimony, and it, it's one of the things I find with a lot of counselors is you, is you. I, I sometimes feel like we have an invisible tattoo on our head that says "Tell me all your problems" or something. Like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you have that experience, the Lord could be calling you to to biblical counseling. So, um, I think there's a lot of truth to that with my students. Actually, is that I know that most seminaries that do biblical counseling, you have to do some counseling, and ours have to do quite a bit. And I'll say, if nobody wants to talk to you, you may be in the wrong program. Mm, I think yeah. the people whom God has called and are gifted, once they start doing this, they often get, even as students, you know, overwhelmed. Yeah. And if no one wants your advice, and maybe you're not ready for that yet. I don't want to discourage too many people, but like, I think it is that those whom God has called to this do draw people who want wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you go to I go to some of the conferences, and you'll hear multiple stories of people who it's like, man, my Uber driver just told me about this, or somebody on the airplane, and it's uh, yeah. But when and then obviously when you're the pastor, um, hopefully that hopefully that adds an element to that. But sometimes I don't know. Sometimes it seems like it works the other way around, where people are afraid to open up to their pastor because they don't want, um, yeah, they don't want that either their image, you know put down right. in his eyes, that kind of thing. So that's why a lot of people like to go, even people who believe in biblical counseling, like a counseling center where they can, it has, looks like psychology or licensed therapy in the sense that you're going to somebody who doesn't know you and won't know you in the future. Whereas you're going to have to live. So many people who try to like, we had IBCD doing counseling in California. And now some at RTS, you have people who don't want to go, because they don't want anybody in their community to know their mess. We try to make a biblical argument against that, but yeah. it is a common problem. 
Oh, definitely. So <clears throat> you're at Westminster. You're studying. How does that study go, and where do you head after that? Well, at Westminster, uh, at that time, Jay Adams was running the Doctor of Ministry program, and George Sibioni, who was one of you know early circle around Jay, mm-hmm. was in the counseling program. So I ended up, and then that was when it was called CCEF West, connected to Westminster. So I got my Doctor of Ministry started with Jay until he retired. He was my advisor, and got a lot of exposure to him after I finished my master's, and I also took some counseling in seminary, some of the classes I took after I got my degree to complete that. Um, then George, after I finished my degrees, asked me to start counseling for CCF West in about 1993, where they, we had students from the seminary who were in the counseling program and needed somebody to observe, and he didn't have enough. And as far as I know, he might have asked every other reformed pastor in the county, and I was the only one who gave in and said yes. But before <laughs> I got started, you know, we were so we in 1990 we planted a reformed Baptist church, which is still there, Grace Bible Church. I think you know people there. I've known people there um, in Escondido, and then in 1993, I just started spending basically most of my day on Monday. Uh, doing counseling and having observers and trying to teach the observers, and then things kind of went from there. Now, somewhere along the way, you met your wife, Caroline, which you just, you know, you're going to be celebrating 44 years. Congratulations. Uh, How did you meet her? How did you guys end up getting married? Yeah, so Caroline and I both moved into the same neighborhood near Richardson, Texas in 1973. And we started high school together in the same neighborhood. We were in band together. We were in a lot of classes together. It was in the big high school. Um, and I had a crush on her and sent her flowers on her 16th birthday. Um, and we'd be, I guess, 1974. And that did not go well. She basically you know, gave me the just friends business. <laughs> uh, we actually remained friends. We were involved in Christian group at school that I helped to lead. And dated other people through high school, then we both wound up at Baylor in God's providence. And so I again showed interest a couple of years after having been shunned and spurned, and that went a lot better. So by the middle of our first year at Baylor, we knew we wanted to get married, and then we finished in three years so we could get married sooner because our parents said they wouldn't pay for school. After we got married, I now realize they were bluffing, and I should have just called the bluff. But <laughs> Um, so we got married, you know, a couple months after we both graduated um, in 1979. So we've been friends since 1973 wow. and been connected uh, since whatever would be 1977, 76. Yeah, that's, that's really great. And our audience don't, don't necessarily take that as prescriptive uh, advice because some parents aren't bluffing. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I and since you brought up Caroline, um, it's amazing to see what the Lord has done in her life, even since the Lord first put us together. But you know, as you're aware, you kind of she homeschooled our kids, good pastor's wife, lots of hospitality. We had couples over; she would help me talk to them. But it's actually when her nest emptied uh, 15, 17 years ago. That's when she went for being ACBC certified, and then we moved here, got her degree, and. Now she's writing and speaking and doing all kinds of other things. We do a lot together, but 
it's been an amazing kindness of the Lord, how much she's developed and mm-hmm. uh, she's actually my favorite counselor. She does more counseling than I do. And I think she's better at it than I am. Well, it's a good testimony and it is great. I got to be one of her teachers, which was really kind of exciting. And uh, you're, yeah, you're exactly right. She's, she's a wonderful counselor and a great, I would, when you say empty nest, that's, talking about your children, because you guys have a full nest often anyway. You've read some of the most hospitable people I've met, and a lot of that I know falls on her shoulders. So, uh, yeah. Yep. Um, so tell us how you went from part-time. I think we were talking, you were counseling part-time. Uh, George Scipione right. roped you into that. How did you go from that to then being on staff at the church and – and then where you are today. Right. So, I mean, I was already the preaching pastor of our church in 1990. I started working with IBCD, or which was then CCF West, in about 1993. Uh, as things went on, you know, getting the doctor of ministry gave some more visibility. Uh, somewhere in there, since I was doing a lot of supervision, I became an ACBC fellow, maybe 96, um, working with the students there. I taught part-time actually at Westminster in the mid nineties in their doctor of ministry program, helping out there. But then uh, what early two thousands masters needed some help. And so I started doing summer courses there. I wrote a book, wrote some more books anyway. So my main job is still the pastor. Actually, that was my ideal life. If you would have asked me at any time in my life until I got to Charlotte, anytime like since from the time I was at seminary to then I would say my ideal life would be, to be a preaching pastor who had good support so I could also do some of these other things. And that was all going great. But then Michael Kruger, who is the president of RTS Charlotte, uh, he had been my intern in the mid-90s, and they started a program in biblical counseling here at RTS Charlotte. And starting in about 2014, he started, first he asked, do you know anybody who could be the director? And I didn't have any good ideas. And he says, what about you? And it took about two years for us to finally decide that's how we could, you know, we were 58 years old. We moved to Charlotte seven years ago. But just thinking of that phase of our life, we thought the church would be okay without us. And they are. And the opportunity, especially with a new program and a seminary that had never had biblical counseling before, that, you know, the opportunity to be an influence on hundreds of you know, future church leaders. You mentioned George Scipione, who had been my mentor. When I was trying to make the decision, I was seeking advice. I asked George, and his initial, his immediate response was that if you would take the job at RTS and teach biblical counseling there, I could die a happy man. Hmm. Now, little did I know a few years later, he was with the Lord. Uh, but that, I think, that did bring out the importance uh, not that I'm the only person at all who could do it, although Mike Kruger's line on me late in the overcoming my resistance, he said, there are only eight people in the country who can do this job, and I've already been turned down by the other seven. That's <laughs> <laughs> where I rated among the eight. Well, I mean, I know, I know actually years ago, I mean, I was had happened to be a fly on the wall in a sense in a, a conversation you're having with some people from your church who were, and it was a, it was a tough decision to make. Cause I know you have a, as you said, your not only your ideal job, but really your heart and your passion is for the church and for people to be equipped 
in the church and that still is a big big part of what ibcd does um so but and and obviously both roles are vital and important and necessary but being able to shape future pastors and future church leaders and stuff finally did win out and i think you're doing a great job at rts charlotte um so who you mentioned you already mentioned quite a few people but if you were to pick a handful of some of the most influential people in shaping you as a biblical counselor who who would be at the top of the list I think George Scipione would be very high on the list. George is a guy that didn't write best-selling books. He he wasn't a plenary speaker at that many conferences, but he has an amazing heritage of some of the most solid, well-equipped, committed leaders in the biblical counseling movement in whose training he participated. Um, he was such a man of prayer. Every time we would talk, he would pray extensively for me, tell me how much he was praying for me. Very humble man. Uh, when we were working together in IBCD, sometimes he would, he was Italian and I'm not, I don't want to get into nature, nurture or whatever, but he would sometimes be very, very expressive. And I would go to him. He was so humble in receiving hopefully Galatians 6, one gentle encouragement. So George would be a huge influence. I think you know, the, the background I got at Believer's Chapel and S. Lewis Johnson was kind of the seed from which all these other people, you know, grew. Just an amazing background in Bible. You know, to be a biblical counselor, you need to know the Bible and you need mm-hmm. sound theology. And I was probably, there was no place I can think of in the world I would have been better off than I was in high school and college years to get training like that. So that would be a couple. So what, um, I'm going to, as far as resources go, I'd like to hear maybe one of your favorite kind of classic or something you've relied on for a long time and then something on the newer end of the spectrum that has you felt very um, influenced by, encouraged by, equipped by. Yeah, so I assigned my students to read Competent to Counsel by Jay Adams. And... I, I've, I, somebody one time told me, imagine what Calvin could have written if he could have read Calvin first. Hmm. And in the sense that Jay Adams starting as a lone voice against everything else, you know, he is Athanasius or something or Luther. It's amazing how well-formed his thinking is. I think people often caricature Jay as some beat people over the head with the Bible and scream about their sin. And it's a very carefully written book. I think it's also, right now, you know, his presuppositional approach, you know, drawing from Van Til and, you know, later generation be framed, is in both in the introduction and the conclusion, which I think goes so much with biblical counseling, would be a presuppositional apologetic. And so I, I think there's so much for people to glean from that still. And uh, even his openness, he said, you know, he knew things would change and he was just starting. It's kind of funny. He, he was, said he was open to change when people actually did try to change. He didn't respond real cheerfully to that sometimes. But, uh, and then, you know, I've really appreciated uh, a few of Dave Harvey's book. I just found myself passing those out a lot or using the audios. Uh, when Sinners Say I Do was so helpful to me. I still do as a follow-up that's excellent. And actually, he's got one maybe less known called Letting Go. And I have so many cases where you've got a spouse or children who are completely wayward and people are just stuck. The world might call it codependent. 
and you know, giving a biblical description of this personality, the wayward person, and then giving freedom that you don't have to save them. I've just found that to be very freeing for many people. Mm. Another one that might not be as well known is practicing affirmation by Sam Crabtree. Uh, I was the kind of person that if it was right, I say nothing. And if it's wrong, I'll correct you. Mm. This book convinced me of how biblical it is to affirm God's good work on other people. I find that to be hugely influential with counselees, even when they come in, just to say, they know they're a mess, but just say, it's so good you're seeking God's help today, and you're Mm. seeking God's wisdom, and even though it's hard to talk about these things, so trying to find ways to legitimately, without flattery, encourage people, and Sam just opened my eyes to that. I'm very grateful. Oh, that's a good one. I'll have to, I haven't read that. I've heard a few people talking about it. I'll have to pick that one up. I do. I mean, it reminds me of what Paul, when you read the letters to the Corinthians, like there's so much garbage going on in the church, but man, he starts out that letter with some amazing encouragement to, to them. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good word. Uh, so what, what, what do you think are some of the hardest things for you in, as you are ministering to people through biblical counseling, what's hardest for you? Um, there are two things that are hard. The first one is, as you're well aware as the executive director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, is that people who all seem to be pretty close several years ago not only have divisions, but the divisions have been pretty sharp, and it's very, very sad to me. Mm. Um, and so that tears me apart sometimes. And I, I've been doing a lot of reading and studying of things I quite frankly disagree with, but I'm, I'm told I'm not getting it. So I thought, well, let me see if I can understand some of these issues. And I won't, for the sake of this podcast, I'm not going to go into what I've been reading and what the differences are. But that's just been a great grief to me is that, yeah. and it's not just been in counseling, it's even been in theology. And of course, it goes to Christians and politics and everything else. Just you've got, and from my, you know, people who have shifted quite a bit and people who are angry and canceling. So that would be one. The second one would be, you know, I've, I've become a senior citizen two weeks from today and trying to figure out Psalm 90, teach us to number our days, establish the works of our hands, is that the Lord has given us so many great opportunities, and, but I only have so much time and energy. And so, you know, how do I define the wisest way? Do I quit traveling and write or do I travel more and write less? And how much counseling do I do and which counseling can I do? And, uh, you know, how much do I get involved in our local church? And you say yes to one, you're saying no to all the others. And so I'm, that's a big thing in my life right now. And yeah, I don't know if I've got 15 years of good health left or 15 months. And so uh, that's been the biggest struggle for me at this stage of my life is just the Lord has blessed us with so many wonderful opportunities but not just to go where the pressure is the greatest, but to try to be intentional in terms of how can I most wisely use the time I have. Yeah. Well, that's a good, good word for all of us. I think those questions come more with more urgency. I think the older we get, I remember turning 40 and the, the, just those pivotal years where you start to think, man, what's, what's in the, Ahead of the car looks is a lot sh- shorter maybe than what's in the rearview mirror. Um, so we'll be, I'll be praying for you about that, and I'd encourage our audience to pray that the Lord give you and and all of us wisdom in how to do that. 
Um, <clears throat> I'm, we're almost out of time, so I'm trying to pick one of the best questions to end up with. If uh, I guess if there was one piece of advice that you would like to give our audience, knowing they're the majority are biblical counselors out there serving in their church or parachurch ministry. Uh, what piece of advice would you like to give them as an encouragement as they pursue Christ and, and the work that he's called them to? I mean, probably the best advice would be walk humbly before God, be in the word, prayer. The thing that maybe strikes me about the movement right now that would be beyond, be beyond just the obvious things everybody would say Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Mm. James 4 says, God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. And with all these differences, and again, I speak to myself, not just to others. I think we ought to be humble and admit how much we don't know. And there are things we're unsure about. And I think biblical counselors tend to want to make everything black and white. And there are many things that are black and white. Absolutely. But there are also things we don't understand. And I think we ought to admit that we don't understand some things. We're not good to say, I'm absolutely sure about every one of these things. And again, particulars would then create problems if I even mentioned them right now. But I think just to to be to deal with these issues and deal with people humbly and to realize there are many times in life I've been wrong before. I'm probably wrong thing about things now, and I don't know what I'm wrong about. And so just not to be wise in my own eyes, not to be foolish in that way, but to to try to listen to, humbly to people of other perspectives. But it's really, really hard. Yeah, no, it is very hard. And I really appreciate that. I mean, and, and you mentioned it before as the leading the Biblical Counseling Coalition. That's so central to my heart. And I, I constantly go back to Philippians chapter 2, right, where Christ says, have this attitude in you, which was also in me. And Paul, when you trace out the argument there, he's, and you trace it back to the beginning of chapter two, <clears throat> he's writing to the church at Philippi and saying, hey, you guys sent people to encourage me. You are an encouragement to me. If you really want to encourage me, be unified. Yeah. And the way to unity is through humility and love. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, I really well, appreciate that. I'll toss another scripture that we use quite a bit in Galatians 5, 15. He had just said that the law is fulfilled, verse 13, by love. But if you bite and devour one another, be careful you're not consumed by each other. And then he goes on and talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's changing subjects. Mm -hmm. That, you know, the, the deeds of the flesh are the pride and the division and the anger and the jealousy. And the way not to devour each other is to walk in the Spirit. Um, and so that's what we need. Yep. And I am not doing that perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, but I think in addition to standing firm on the truth and reading our Bibles and praying, I think uh, we need the Lord to work in us the fruit of the Spirit, which isn't just something you can do by sheer effort, but that God would really make us humble, gracious people. Amen. Amen. And may we all spur each other on to that love and, and good deeds uh, flowing out of that. So, well, brother, thank you so much for being with us. Our time is up, but I appreciate you spending some time with us on 1514. My pleasure. I appreciate you so much and thankful for the Biblical Counseling Coalition. It's a real honor and a privilege to be included. 
Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And special thanks to our team who helped make this podcast possible. My assistant, Rebecca Mullins, helps coordinate these interviews. And our podcast engineer, Caleb Lau, does a great job editing and putting everything together. We look forward to you joining us next time.